Welcome back. I'm here again with Grant Cameron. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about portals. Grant, I think you've written two books on this topic, correct? One for sure is uh, Portals at Mount Shasta. I've, I've talked about it a lot in books because it's an important concept in terms of understanding what's going on and what the ground level of the thing might be. But yeah, I've, I've been fairly interested. I was just thinking this morning, I walk to McDonald's every morning and that's how I get my sort of inspiration. I walk, walk, walk quite a bit. And I was thinking to myself, like, why did, how did it get in portals? And I think it may have to do with, because most of the stuff I've gotten involved, I mentioned before, I had no intention of getting involved in. These things just sort of happen to me. And, and when it happens, you get this sort of emotion, sort of inspiration, something fits together, and you go, I got to go down this road. So what happened, I think, was I have a friend who used to help me edit books, Katerina Castillo, who's a legal assistant in Los Angeles. And she was helping me do this kind of stuff. And at one point she says to me, she says, oh, you should come to Mount Shasta. We're going up to Mount Shasta uh, with the Mission Rama group. And we're going to uh, meditate for world peace. And I was like, yeah. I said, Katarina, you know, I'm not really going to against world peace. I got nothing against meditation, but I don't want to go sit on a mountain and meditate for world peace. And this is all these Latinos, these Mission Rama people which I think are important to, to keep in mind because they don't have any grays. They don't have any reptilians. They don't have any mantids. They have none of this kind of stuff there. And it's this reflective idea that Brandon Fugel talks about that is reflective of your belief system. So they're very religious. They're Roman Catholics and stuff. And theirs is like, they all look like they got long hair. They're built like swimmers. They got these tight uniforms on. They're talking about God. And it's like 25,000 of these people around the world. And they all have these experiences and they're very, meticulous about recording what they call antennas what they do is somebody will get a message and then they'll wait for a second person to get the message inside the group and they will not confirm the first message until somebody gets the same message and that means they're in contact this is an actual message so they have these people called antennas inside each group and so they were going up on this mountain and i said to katarina i don't really want to do this and then I figured, well, she's helped me do all these books for nothing. She just helped me out. So I should go to California. So I live in the middle of the country. So I go, okay, we're going to go to this uh, California. We're going to go to this, whatever this thing is. And I knew that they'd had this, what they call them, Zendras. We call them portals. They they have a different word for me. And it's a different, almost all the Zendras are different. All the portals are different. And I knew they had these events in 2014, 2015. One was Paula Harris, who runs an event called Starworks USA. And she was involved in both the 14 and 15 events. So I, I knew Paula was there. And so I said to my assistant, I said, you want to go to California? We'll go set up a mountain. We'll meditate for a while. She said, yeah, let's go. So we're going across. And this is how they get dragged into this rabbit hole. So I, I, we're going across. We're driving across the country. We're, it's a three-day drive. So we're driving second day. We're driving into Reno, Nevada. We're going to stop there for the night. And then we're going to make the last road trip up to Mount Shasta up to the 4,000 foot level at what they call the sand flats on Mount Shasta. And suddenly the phone rings and I knew already because Chris Bledsoe had given me a, a message that turned into a book called tuned in the paranormal world of, of music, where he said, the, the, the beings have a message for you, the guardians. I said, the message for me. And he said, yeah, you got a message for you. They want you to know the mu- messages in the music. I said, well, Chris, you may be talking to the wrong guy, Chris. I'm a radio talk guy. I don't listen to music. I have no interest in music. I don't play music. All my family's musical. I have no interest in music. Well, it's, so I got, so when this, that message came in, I said, Hey, get the message. And he said, it's from Antarell. So they're, they're one of the beings that they deal with is Antarell. And he's this nine foot, 10 foot tall guy. He's very stern looking, but he's got this gray sort of hair and very well built and stuff like that. And I said, a message from Antarell and it's Katarina. And I said, yeah, well, exactly what it is. Exactly. It gets exactly what the message is. Because I realized I've got one of these messages before. This is important. So it was, we know Grant's coming to the mountain. And there's going to be a program sighting on August the 19th, 2017, I think it was. They want me to post it on Facebook. So I put on Facebook. And I said, that's why I wanted exactly what the message was. So I put it on Facebook. And then I realized, like, holy cow, they had these portal things open, these Zendra things. I said, I, I really am not interested. I would rather Desta, my assistant, go or Katarina go through the portal. I'm, I'm not interested. I had a very close sighting. I, I'm not interested in UFO sightings. I'm not interested in seeing aliens. I'm not interested in that kind of stuff. I'm just interested to figure out what's going on. So 
I'm thinking, well, no, that's not what they want to do because Paula was a major researcher. They're sort of showing off. So the beings are showing off because they want her to tell the story. So I realized, oh, they want me to tell the story now because it's all in Latino. It's all in Spanish and, and Portuguese and stuff like that. And now it's going to be me. I'd say well, I'm a, they might, must want me to tell the story. So I said, get the message. So we're, we're going there and I figure, okay, they're, it's very religious. So they do the meditation, they do the oming, they do the fasting, uh, all this kind of stuff. So like, okay, I'll play the game. So three days early, I start fasting. I'm not eating anything. And I realize I may get to go in one of these Zendra things. And if that's the way it is, that's what we want to see, whatever. So I get to the thing and, and program citing is they have these two messages. And the two messages, one was a PhD from Columbia who got the message. And the second one was Ricardo Gonzalez, who was running the group. And they both got the message. The program sighting was going to happen at 9.33 at night. Now, they didn't make it public till after. But 9.33, I'm sitting in the chair. And it's like, all of a sudden, this flash above my head. And people are going, oh, and the people got the lasers going, flash again, a flash. And it's right above my head. I'm, I'm looking back with my chair. And I'm going, holy cow. I'm, I'm looking up at this thing. And I'm going. It's right above me. And I'm thinking, that's ah, pretty egotistical, Cameron. I mean, come on. It's, it's got to be above the group because there's like, I don't know, maybe right. 90 people in this group in this big circle. And it's got to be above the group. And I'm going, no, it's right above me. And p- other people said, yeah, it was right above you. And it's flashing, flashed. And then I, I it was so far back, I had to sort of sit forward because I, I was going to flip the chair, this lawn chair. So I sit forward and then this giant one, and people are applauding and clapping. And, and so then it, it ends. And then suddenly, Ricardo's sitting right beside me and he opens up this little black book. It's the most bizarre thing. You're in this thing, like the experience. He opens this little black book and his wife's got this cell phone to light up the book and he's doing automatic writing. He's going, he's going, and I go, oh, I'm somebody about a camera and a, a video camera. Man, if I had a video camera, I'm looking at this, I was just floored as it's going. And then he starts going sideways. And I said, I said to Vesta, I said, he's writing sideways. And she says, no, he's not. He's just turning the book. I said, no, he's writing sideways. And he's going up and down the page. It's a mile a minute. And then he stops, closes the book, opens the book again. He's writing again. Like, holy cow. And he gets these messages. One is from Antarell and one's from this female commander. And so they read this thing and he reads this message. And Grant doesn't need to see. Grant doesn't need to see. He knows already. And then at the end, he says to me, he says, so what do you think? <laughs> and I go, eh, that's pretty cool. You know, and I'm, I'm, and meanwhile, in my mind, I'm going, that's the best you could do. You saw what I saw in 1975. That's total nonsense. I mean, flashing in the sky. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. but it, but it was nothing. I'm waiting for a Zendra to open and a alien to be standing there and stuff. So we went there. But then what happened was, I I says to, to Paula, I said, Hey Paula, where did that thing open up? That portal thing? He said, Right over there. And I said, Over there? He said, Come on, let's go. I'll run the camera. And you tell the story and we'll go across the field and, we, and you tell me the story. She says, okay. So we go and I'm filming her and we're, we're walking across this field. It's 2014. So she goes there and it's a game. Same thing. It's the wow experience. They're showing off. They want her to tell the story. They want me to tell the story. They want everybody to tell the story. And the consciousness rises. Everybody realizes something's going on. What's going on? The world is not physical the way we think it is. And so she's telling this story and we get there and she tells this story about they're in this spot and this it's like a sparkly blue light starts to appear and there, there's two objects go over first and then they go and everybody's meditating so there only takes seven people are allowed in the zendra at one time and so they're taking seven people over there and the other people are still oming and they're meditating they're trying to get the what they do their idea is you get the vibration up almost like a seance where you sing or you ohm or vibrate, you raise your vibration and the, and the beings lower their vibration and this Zendra will open up and the being will be inside the Zendra and they take seven people. So uh, she told me the sort of story we were standing there. And then I said, and and then she mentioned one person and said, that person was there too? She said, oh yeah, they're all here. I said, all the people that were in the Zendra are here? And she said, yeah. I said, can you get me an interview with them? Let's go, let's go talk. And we go, and they're all sitting in one spot because they all they, they follow. It's it's almost like a not it's a religion, but they they have these two, three or four different leaders that that have the ability to, to do this kind of stuff, to lead and to open these things and to bring the beings in and stuff like that and contact the beings. And these people follow them around, so they'll go to Spain, they'll go to uh, Peru, and they all the, the whole group will go to Peru, and that, that's how they do it. And so they were all sitting in this one group and they could see me coming with a camera and they're, they're all scattering. And, I, and so Paula gets them and I got this camera. I said, I said to the person, I said, were you, were you inside this thing? Yeah, I was in there. So what do you see? Oh, there was this uh, guy, this Antarell was there. 
I said, well, describe Antrell. He was about nine feet tall. He's a, he just looked very stern. He had this gray hair. And there was these little beings beside him. And they looked like they had iPads. And they figured they were the engineers. So these little beings are peeking out from behind these trees. And they had these iPads and they're sort of smiling like little elves. And they were the ones that were keeping the Zendra open. They were using these iPads to keep the Zendra open. And I said, really? Do you see the little beings? Yeah, I saw the little beings. And what were they doing? They were peeking out from behind trees and stuff like that. And then there was a the 10 foot being. And then there was these other beings that were shorter, seven feet tall beside them. And, and then I go to the next person. What did you see? Oh, I, I saw him around. I said, you saw him too? Yeah, I was, I was 10 foot tall. And they're all describing. I'm just blown away. They're all describing the same thing. And the thing was that there were seven people in there and they're all having different experiences. So one was Paula Harris was all upset. She was all, you know, uh, scared about what's going on. And she couldn't figure out. He was talking in some language. And she was going, I can't understand what you're saying. And then uh, uh, Ricardo, who was with her, said, calm down, Paula. He can't talk to you until you calm down. Calm down. And she, all she could hear was this vibration. Another person was getting a message about their family. So there's seven people and they're all getting different messages, almost like they were with the being themselves. I was just floored. I'm going, there's like seven people. I don't talk, uh, maybe talked to five of them and the other couple scattered. And then I said, the one guy said, so you seen him before? And he said, oh yeah, I've seen him before. I said, you seen Antaral before? Oh yeah. How many times have you seen him? I don't know, five, six times. I go, five, six times. Because they keep moving around. And so I was just floored with the story. And then the, the next one was 2015. Paula doesn't want to go back. And it's just, and so I wrote on the two, 2014 experience and the 2015 in this book where I talk about how they need Paula to go back. They want they want her to do this again and she doesn't want to go. And, I, and her phone starts to ring and there's this big businessman out of Phoenix who was sort of financing her and his phone is ringing and she, and she keeps phoning. And, and then she phones up and says, why keep phoning me? He said, I'm not phoning you, you're phoning me. And it's this apportation thing. They do this weird stuff and they drag you in. And then uh, he says, Paula, I think we've got to go. It's like the day before. This is a, a definite sign. They want you back there, Paula. Let's go. And then we would go back. They go back to, on 2015. And again, it happens. This thing opens up again on 2015. And I talked to a guy who's I, I'm, I'm trying to get him to talk again because it has this whole skinwalker thing, this whole hitchhiker effect, which happens in all paranormal phenomena. So uh, skinwalker right. has made it sound like it's their thing. You know, as anybody it's, in it's attachment, right. knows. They put the white light around you to protect yourself. You know, this thing, it could drag you around, follow you around and stuff like that. So anyway, she goes in there and this one guy is a translator. And that's all he's there. He's never seen anything in his life. Never seen a UFO, never seen nothing. And he's her translator. And he's an architect in Los Angeles. And he was 24 years in the Navy. So he's there with her. And then she gets called away. And again, she's she's freaking out. She doesn't know what, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. No, no. And they're dragging her and they got a chair. They're going to sit this chair down in the middle of this field in, in case she collapses. She's really upset about the whole thing. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go. And, and she gets there. And then the one guy describes seeing it where, where they all go. And he's, he's sitting, he sits in her chair. He's not, a, he's not allowed. Like there's seven people and he's sitting in the chair and he's watching her and all these other people and they disappear. It's like, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's just totally black. So they go and he said, I can see them disappearing into the darkness. And then he, I'm sitting in this chair and I said, what do you see? And he said, suddenly this light appears and it's this beam of blue light and this blue sparkly light and whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, it's gotta be a campsite, somebody's campsite. And I'm going, no, they're going right into that thing. And this translator is with Paula and he goes in. And so I'm interviewing him. And apparently he freaked out and he wanted me to take an interview down where they said that he cried like a little baby when he was inside this thing because he totally freaked out. And I said, well, that's what they were saying. Well, you got to take that off the tape. I don't want that on the tape. I don't want that on the Internet and stuff like that. And he tells me this whole story. And I remember him when he came out to this guy who was sitting in the chair. He said he said to Tom, he says, Tom, I can't believe it. There's actual extraterrestrials. I was there. And he said, what is she? It was right there. It was so close. I could see the lines in his face. It's unbelievable. This guy's just freaking out. He's just, and he'd never seen any of his life. And then he starts telling the story when he goes home. Same thing. It's the hitchhiker, but it's not the negative hitchhiker. It's the positive hitchhiker. He goes mm -hmm. home. And if you've heard the story with Winterton, tells the story about when he goes with it, start fooling around with his car. They always do the car thing. So he says, his wife phones him up. It's just, they're playing with the car again. I'm stuck on the freeway. You got to get me off here. And so he goes and gets her, brings her home. And then she comes in she says, later on. She says, the Martians, they're playing with the car again. And he said, they're not Martians. Why? Well, they're, they're playing with the car. And he goes in and the, the car's turned off and it's in the garage and the windshield wipers are going. <laughs> the car's turned off and they had to let the battery run down. So this is this hitchhiker thing. And then he said, Aunt Rubble's falling around. He's in a, in a kid's function in San Francisco and he's there. 
And he said, they're all having this big party at this big table. And all of a sudden he looks in the corner and Anturel is standing there. And Anturel starts following him around. And then what happens is the story just gets, it, it's this wild story that they want me to, I guess they want me to tell again, that it goes from that experience, 2015, he suddenly gets, he's, he's in the middle of this thing. Now he's the hitchhiker. It's following him around. And he gets this message from another being from this same race with the beautiful blonde hair type thing. Adama, Adama says in 2020, this is in the middle of COVID, says, if you get, if you do this event, they have to go to Sedona and they have to touch three different spots in Sedona. And if you do that, then I will guarantee I will come to Mount Shasta and I will appear. And so he gets these two women and they do a whole thing. They go to Sedona and they do exactly what they're supposed to do. And all these weird things are happening there. And then they come back and the, this military guy doesn't even go to the event. He ends up not going to the event and they have like 40 people there. And in this event in 2020, Adama says he will appear. And what happens is there's a film. We've actually got the film where there's a being. It looks like a, somebody in a robe standing behind this tree and they're filming. And they ask Adama, can we film? Yeah. And they film and this being is there and it goes and then it comes back and the being is moved. It's moved to a different tree and it's, it's all in a robe. You can't see a face or anything. And there's a reflection off the back of the tree. And in front of the trees, this thing is standing beside. It looks like a portal. It looks like a square thing. And, and it's all sort of out of focus in front of this tree. And they, they showed me this film, 2020. And then the bizarre thing happened. It's like they just don't let this thing off. They just want the story told more and more. There are nine people. I've got the actual tape. I've recovered the tape in the last month. I thought I'd lost it. Actual tape. I interviewed three of the nine witnesses. They're sitting in the middle of the field, two o'clock in the morning. They're having a birthday party and it gets very cold and it gets very sort of dark there. And they're sitting there. And all of a sudden the one woman's from Mexico, like these are all Latino people. So the one woman from Mexico says, he's here. My dad is here. And they said, well, how do you know? I just know he's here. And then and she's there. He's over there. And, and it's the same thing. It's this light and the edge of the, it's an open field. It's called the sand flats. It's open. There's no trees. And then there's all these trees all around, just huge trees. And, and you can see this light. And it's today. No, it's a campsite. Somebody's campsite. No, that's them. I, I, he's there. He wants us to come over there. He's just getting his message. He wants us to come over there. And the other people, there's nine people are going, we can't go over there. It's dark. I mean, there's potholes. We're going to, somebody's going to break their heart. Listen, we can't see anything. We, we're not going over there. Tell them to come to see us. And she goes, okay, they're coming. And they said, boom, 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 just like elephants. Boom, 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 boom. These elephants coming across the, the field. And, and then everybody starts freaking out. And they don't know what to do. And it, it, it's coming. And it gets closer and closer and closer to this noise. And they, so they all grab hands. These nine people, they grab hands. And they start oming. They're just petrified. And they're oming. And, oh, and all of a sudden, they start levitating. And they're levitated up in the air. Nine people. They're holding hands. And they're, they're oming. And all of a sudden, the being is there. Adama's there. And I and didn't ask the question until the end. So Adam is there. And, and then I said, well, so what happened? They said, the being started to ohm as well. So they're oming. And they said, the strange thing was that it sounded like when we were oming, it sounded like we were underwater. And I went, I didn't say anything, but I, I immediately knew you're inside of Zendra. Because the guy, remember I told you, the guy that was the 747, he said it. They all say it. When you're in it, you, you're you off balance. It's like the gravity doesn't work and you're sort of off balance and you feel sort of like nauseated. And the other thing is when you talk, it sounds like you're underwater. So these people said, sound like we're underwater. And I said to the one guy, I said, well, so how long does this go on for? I said, I don't know, two hours. And and I said, so they were there? That You saw, actually saw Adama? He said, yeah, I saw Adama. I said, well, who was with him? How many people? He said, there were as many beings as there was trees in the forest. And I said, really? I got this on camera. He goes, yeah, really? And these people didn't want to talk. And what happened was that they had told this experience and then I wanted to document it. So Katarina, the same girl, had made these arrangements and she was the translator. And it's kind of hard to watch the interview because there's translation going on. And none of them wanted to talk. They said, this is a very private event. We really don't want to talk about this, whatever. And then when it got into the interview, it was like, they're all fighting to talk. It's like, oh man. It's just... <laughs> and I couldn't believe when he said, there was many trees. I said, there was that many? And I, and I said, well, what happened? He said, uh, it sort of ended. Then we went to our tents and they were still moving around the tents. You could hear them moving around the tents and the people were so petrified that it was like near this two o'clock in the morning so it was almost like two hours later it was almost when it ended the sun was starting to come up and the people just took their tents and they left they were so scared as to what had happened and so you have the, these events and then one of those people 
it followed him home and it started sending me these photographs of this stuff inside this guy's house and it had followed him home and now it's still going on so i tried to talk to the guy with the 24 year military guy and he's not answering the emails but he gave me an interview that he said if i never put it out he would let me have the interview and he told me that this whole original story of, of what happened but it's following him around and now, because he didn't get, go to that event, now it's following some other guy around, and you get this sort of thing where this Zendra story, and they're the only ones that have these events where they can actually open these things. And there's photographs, there's videos of these Zendras, and there's all these different stories. And it's like, it's the same idea where you go inside it, they'll describe Ganymede, that there's a planet off of Jupiter, and that when you step through the portal, when they were in Mount Shasta, there was a being inside, and they were all interacting with this being. But in other cases, they step, and it's like you step into another world, just like that. So I got fascinated with this kind of stuff. And actually, the way this whole thing fell apart was the CIA was very interested in this stuff. So Ron Pandolfi, the rumored story is that Ron Pandolfi's wife comes from the other side, that she's not all human. And this story's been told, the rumor's been told, and she's not really gone on camera about it. And she said, it's not what people think it is and stuff like that. But anyway, so they were interested in one of the guys that when this original thing was happening, when we were going to go back in 2020, one of the guys that worked with Ron Pendolf yeah, was a guy by the name of Kevin Albert. And Kevin Albert had been through a portal in California at Napa Valley. And mm -hmm. so he was going to come to the event. And Ron was going to send him to the event because they figured they wanted to know about these, these Zendras, whether they were related to portals and stuff like that. And so at, at this point, I phone up Kevin Albert and I say, hey, Kevin, we just had a big experience happen at Mount Shasta. There's nine people levitated into the air. We know who they are. We know how all these witnesses are and this whole thing with these being and we got on camera and this sort of stuff. And I said, isn't it about time that you told me what the CIA knows about this? He said, OK, I make a deal said, you do a documentary uh, with these people go on camera, you go in, into Hollywood, and I'll tell you the other side of the story. And then, of course, as soon as they heard who I was dealing with, it was like, gone. <laughs> nobody's talking to me. It's sort of like, CIA, whatever. <laughs> but then you see the CIA is really interested. And, and the, the key piece of evidence I guess I got for the portal thing was Ron has always talked about this thing in the desert. There's this uh, thing in the desert. And, and Dan Smith talks about it. He's sort of the guy that leaks all his stuff. He talks about it. And I remember one experience where Ron's wife and Dan Smith was on there. And she said, no, there was a statement came up. Dan, you had three chances to go to the portal and you, you chickened out every time. He said, no, I didn't. And then Ron Pendolfi's wife says, yes, you did. And so there was this, this story that they had this thing in the desert. So Ron, they go on a cruise through the Panama Canal. So there's Ron, his wife, there's Kevin Albert. There's this guy, key guy, uh, his name is Sillison. He's out of L.A. He went to school with university with Ron and this John Sillison guy sitting beside Ron. And at one point, they're, they're videotaping this thing. Kevin Albert's videotaping this thing. And you can't really hear very well because there's noise in the, the, the ship in the restaurant. And she says, so footman, the story was she's the princess and he's the footman. He takes care of her and she's the princess. And he said, OK, footman, what do you think? And Ron is on camera and he says, people have always wondered what it's like to go into the next world. The next time John. And John's sitting there cleaning his glasses. Next time John goes to the desert, a number of us in this room will go into the next world and come back again. And I went, thank you, Jesus. I grabbed that video and I duplicated it. And then it started to circulate around. Yeah. What about you? What do you and then it went to to bruce mcabee who's a good friend of ron's he's the navy guy did the, the fbi book on fi stuff and he shows it to ron and ron says that camera is a thief and it's like well you put it on the internet that's <laughs> like the only time the guy's ever been caught on camera and it, it's the clearest evidence that they actually have something he says people have always wondered what it's like to go into the next world looks over at john he said next time john goes to the desert a number of us here will go into the next world and come back again where in the desert is this 
We don't know. We're assuming Area 51, or I'm not sure. They just call it the desert. And we're going to go. And the other one was there was Joe Firmage. If you know the Joe Firmage story, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Joe Firmage was working on this. He got this experience in 1990s with this tall being that had to bend down when he's in the room. He's so tall, he had to bend down. And and then he said, "I, I want to go to outer space." And then the being said, "Why should we help you?" And he said, "Because I'm willing to die for it." And he starts working on this gravity control thing where Ron is involved. And Fugel is involved. Fugel said, we never believed this would work for a minute because he's on camera. They've got this thing going and Fugel's on camera and helped put us on camera and stuff like that. And so the, there was this whole story that he was working on the portal. And I remember one really significant, and these are the things that really stick with me when you say they're not making this up, is they're, they're having this interview with Fugel and Ron. Is, Ron's in the background again. He's not on, on, on camera or anything. And his wife is running the show and they're talking to Firmage. And the daughter, whose name is Kashmir, she's at that time, I think, six or seven, maybe seven at the time of this interview took place. And then the rumor was that she had been through the portal and she becomes a cheetah when she goes through the portal. You become a different animal. And so she talked she, on camera at the time. She was talking about the cheetah and stuff. And you have to know the background of what she's talking about, that she's been on the other side. And I remember someone asked her, don't you want to go back? Nah, I'm more interested in being on this side. And she's the one that said, I'm I'm only half alien. My mother's an alien. She, you know, like this kind of stuff. And so they ask her, they say, hey, you want to ask a question to Joe Firmage? And she said, yeah. She comes on the camera. And she's six years old, seven years old. And she says, how many portals do you have in your house? And like a six year, like somebody's telling her something. Like there's no way that a six year old girl is going to think of a question. How many portals do you have in your house? And he laughs. Oh, well, yeah, well, you have to come here and stuff like this. And there was always this rumor that Firmage was working on the portal thing. So I've been interested. And what I've always said to sort of sum it up is I've looked at a lot of anti-gravity stuff. You know, mm -hmm. we got anti-gravity and stuff. Every time I looked at every time I chased it down, it was like, we got gravity control. We can affect gravity by 2% or something like that. I've never seen anything where it actually confirmed. But when it goes to portals, it always, it always ends up in something like, Oh my God, give you an example. I'm with Tim Taylor. If you read Chris Bussell's book, you talk about a meeting that took place in a cabin in Pennsylvania. So there's all these rich guys. I'm the only guy who doesn't have any money there. And Chris Bussell's there and he's talking about Mel Gibson wants to do a movie and they have this option and the business guys are telling them, don't put this, don't put that. And all Chris Bussell's interested in is the end of the movie. They're not going to change the end of the movie. They're not going to put reptilians in this movie. It's going to be the way I want it to be. And they say, we can't let you control the end of the movie. And they're offering them millions of dollars and I'm not signing. And, and he basically, I gave him credit. I mean, the guy turned down a lot of money because he wouldn't give the end of the movie away. And this is the third time it had gone through lawyers. So they're sitting there and Tim Taylor's there. So Tim Taylor's this Nassau guy with the, with the little pieces of metal that, that he had put in everybody's hand and stuff like that, that you sort of indicate he, he knows something's going on. And so I meet him. I don't know who he is at the time. And, and now his name is all secret. But then there's no secret. You know, I knew who he was and there was no big secret about who he was or whatever, except that I didn't know how powerful he was. So I'm talking to him and I'm talking about his download experience. And then he shows me his cell phone. We're talking and he shows me his cell phone. He actually introduced me to an experiencer. He had two experiences. You want to talk to one? And I've known her now since then that he's following these experiences. Write down what's happening. You're premonitions and stuff like that so he's watching these experiences he introduced me to one of them who i i've dealt with ever since but he shows me this photograph and it's these two guys you heard this story that's all the story these guys are flying through space it's a painting and these two guys they look like they're oh, yeah. pajamas yeah. and they're flying through space these two guys and he says what do you think of that and i go i don't know Tim. that didn't mean it. and then he goes next photograph and it's all these balls in a painting all these balls big balls going down like in a tunnel and they're all going into this tunnel to smaller balls and i go yeah i don't know and he shows me this this thing of three different photographs of this eclipse taking place and i go yeah and then he shows me another photo he said what do you this and he shows me this photograph of this 56 57 chef on top of a parkade and he says you know can you see in the back seat and you can see there's something in the back seat he said there's a postcard i said oh yeah he said you know what it says on the postcard and I, I have to only paraphrase because I remember exactly what he said, but he said something about, I wish I could travel through time and space to be with you. Some guy writing to his girlfriend or the girlfriend writing to the guy or whatever. And I said, that's what it says? And he said, yeah. And then I'm going. And he says, do you know where this is? And I go, no. And he says, Hughes Aircraft Building outside of LAX. And I go, still doesn't mean anything to me, Tim. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, that's what the jump room was. And I go, huh? Can I see those photographs again? He goes, you said the jump room was? He said, the one the one with the two guys flying? That's right outside the elevator. 
And I go, holy cow. And I actually contacted, what's his name? The, the jump room guy that was claimed he went to with Obama to, to Mars. I said, hey, which building were you in? Because there's two buildings. It's 999 Sepulveda Avenue. And I said, well, were you in the back building or the front building when you were a little kid? And they were putting you through the jump room. He said, I don't remember. I was a little kid. I don't remember if it was the front building or the back building. And it, this, this thing, so he's, and I said to him, I said, wow, that's pretty cool. And then I, he, I said, well, I'm going to take a photograph. He said, watch out for the guard. There's a guard there. Make sure the, the guard doesn't see you taking photographs of these things. And I go, okay. So next time I go to LDX, man, I'm on, <laughs> off I go to 999 Sepulveda <laughs> Avenue. And sure enough, here's these paintings. And I photographed these paintings. And then years later, it's the same thing. I'm sitting there outside. I go, why did Tim show me those photographs? What was Tim doing at, at Hughes Aircraft Building? wonder if this is real. Maybe this is for real. Like, why would he be going there? Why would he show me these photographs? He's getting my reaction to these photographs. And, and that's why I say with, with the portal thing, every time I track the portal thing down, it's like, hey, is this real? I mean, it's like, this thing's, there's maybe something to this. This is really a real story that they have this kind of stuff. And so I'm just fascinated with the story of, of it is. And you can see why, they, like Skinwalker, if they have a portal and open Skinwalker, of course they're going to go. They're going to try to figure it out. And then even the stuff I've got, I don't know if you saw the photographs I just posted. The guy sends it. He's the guy. I'm not going to get into the story. He's this. He's just the guy that started this whole thing with the apports, with the feathers. There's all these feather stories that were happening around. It's just bizarre. There's 12 people, 15 feather stories, all these synchronicities of feathers and stuff. And he's the guy that started that. He got this impression that he had to go around the world. He had to go to Laughlin, Nevada to be, to meet me. And his wife says, Tony, are you crazy? You've got chronic Crohn's disease. You're very sick. You've got two kids. You've never left the country. You're going to go across the world to see this guy. You don't even know if he wants to talk to you. So he sent me a photograph just the other day. He sent me these photographs. He said, I'm not going to say what they are. I'm not going to, I just, I, I sent it in before. You didn't say anything. Here, take a look at these photographs. And it's like, it's, it's in the sky and it's sort of foggy. It's like black sort of the middle. The second one, the middle gets darker. The third one, I'm going, that's a portal opening. I've never seen a portal, but that looks like a portal opening, whatever this description. And he wouldn't say, he just said, I don't know what it is. So we posted them. Nobody really made any comment. I posted the photographs up there, but that's the kind of stuff. I just fascinated with this portal thing. And it, it's sort of like a link in how they're explaining to us. It's not the world you think it is. You can actually pop from one dimension to another, but it's all the same thing. We sort of make this idea that we're here, the portal's there. It's all the same thing. It's all interlinked. The portal may be inside our mind. Everything is inside our mind, like the remote viewing. Where does the guy get the material for the remote viewing? He's not going anywhere. It's inside. Everything is inside you, and you actually go there. And that's why the beings are saying to you when you're flying the ship, they say, it's within you. You have to imagine it within you. Or Ron Johnson said, they, they asked him, they said, where would you like to go? And he said, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a distance. He said, okay, it's going to take about one second. You, it's within you. Go within yourself. And he said, in one second, the window was open. You looked, and there was the Milky Way in the distance, like 50 to 70,000 light years, which would indicate that something's going on. It's not what we think it is. There's, there's no way I think they're going 50, 70,000 light years. It's all within us. It's this bizarre world that is changing and we're realizing more and more as we go along this is wrong that's wrong this is wrong and i had the psychedelic experience i wrote a book on psychedelics and that was the number one thing they hammered to me over and over and over again you think you know what's going on you haven't got a clue what's going on it, not only is it what you've got wrong it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is and, and then i got frustrated at one point i said to this thing and it went up for session after session where they kept hammering me with this ego thing and then i said I'm, I'm just here i'm trying to figure out what's going on so you tell me what the hell's going on? And then the, the, they say, we don't know what's going on either. I go, oh, and, and, I, and then the other day I'm thinking, maybe they don't, maybe you only know mm -hmm. the veil is closed for you. And that I'm talking to somebody at a lower level and they don't know what's going above them either. And maybe even at the highest level, even the beings don't know what's going on, that, that it's, it's, they're, they're doing their little job and they're trying to move up and everybody's trying to move up this level. And the veil is, is there for a reason that it's, it's part of this thing is figuring it out. So the, Portals are real. There's no doubt about that. There's enough stories, whether it's the government stories and these uh, Mission Rama people. As I said, there's actual photographs. There's videos of, of these Zendras. I've talked to lots of people who have been inside these things. And they have these common characteristics of talking underwater, wanting to throw up, or they come up with, with the burn where they were all red. People will come out of the Zendras and they're all red. You hear this in, it's even in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, where he's looking out the window and he's red on the one side and stuff like that. That's inside Zendras. So it's connected to ufos it's the same sort of thing and whether that's a symbolic of something 
in nature that we need to learn about, or it's just a, a thing why they put triangles on people's arms. I say, but well, why are they putting triangles on people's arms? Like, what, what is this? Uh, I mean, it's just to get you to go, what is going on? Like my one friend here, he has some of the most dramatic experience. He's now died, but I asked him, I said, hey, Jim, did you ever, did you ever come back? Uh, they had your clothes inside out and backwards. And he goes, you want to put, you want a photograph? He says, you a photograph right away. <laughs> And he said it's happened twice <laughs> inside. And it's like people say, or like Terry Lovelace when he was on yours, yeah. on your show. He says, they put yeah. my socks on sideways. I mean, they, they just want you to go, what the heck is going on? Why are my shoes undone? Why are my socks on sideways? It's not like the aliens are stupid. They can't put your socks on. They want you to go, what the heck is going on here? What do you think is driving some of these portals? Because I know David Morehouse, we did a whole episode on Chaco Canyon right, where they observed one above Pueblo Alto, which was you know, part of a civilization that was there thousands of years ago, or maybe not thousands, maybe like a thousand and a few hundred, that they observed one in real time at 2 a.m. at night. They look up into the sky and they would see this diaphanous shimmer. And it, it was like looking through cellophane paper is what he yeah. described it as. And at the same time, I think he ran, they ran into Jacques Vallée, who had some like big contraption with them that they were kind of looking for something similar, not at Pueblo Alto, but just in that general vicinity. But it's in the desert. But then again, you know, given your Shasta experience, it could be in a number of various places. Sedona would be another location. Speaking of which, where are these videos? Where can somebody find these videos? I don't have my website anymore. If you want, I can give you access to the Ron Pendolfi video. The one from Shasta, I better hold back because they, whether they're going to tell the story or not, I've got the video of this of this being there, which was very, very strange. But the one with Ron, I can provide you that. I've posted them quite a few times. I've talked about them. I've shown them in various lectures. When you talk about the locations, I think we sort of get thrown off by locations. Is we, Again, we always forget that we're part of what we're seeing. Right. So Mount Shasta, for example, people say, oh, Mount Shasta, they're living under the mountain. It's like, really? They, they got all this technology living under a mountain. It's like the whole thing about hair. I mean, why are aliens got no hair? Especially the bad aliens. The bad aliens all got no hair, and the good aliens all got long, sort of beautiful hair. And it's like, you know, do you think that we got CRISPR technology? Do you think they would have, have developed something to get hair? I mean, the first thing you would have worked on is hair. And so we're part of what we're seeing. So the Mount Shasta thing, it's almost like you develop a belief that they're there and it plays into it, that we're part. It's, it's not like it's an independent thing happening independent of us. You go to that event to see it and you m help manifest the thing. It's almost like in the, the last event, I wrote two books on Mount Shasta. So there's two different groups. I did the one guy's group, wrote a book. And then I said, I want to go to the other guy's group before I write the first book, because I, I don't want them playing off. Oh, you went to his group and you didn't do my group or whatever. And so I told to end up with two different books. And the other way was uh, Enrique Villanueva. So he had a, a group there. And they had the thing where they're living under the mountain and it's like, this is like crazy stuff. I mean, it's sort of like, it's a old legend and people believe in this. Like, how can you believe these aliens are living under the mountain? Well, there's and, massive lava tubes underneath. But that's the thing. Shasta. People are thinking that it's, it's a physical thing causing the phenomena. It's the other way around. It's the phenomena causing. So because people believe Mount Shasta is sacred because they have piles of groups, not just Mission Rama. There's all these people up there that think it's a sacred mountain and they're doing all these meditations and people in white robes. And, <laughs> just like, and, and it, it will produce that. If you believe that, it will produce that. Because mm -hmm. even it, they had this thing, it's called Talos. So there's a rumored story that Talos is under the mountain. This, they all live in this mountain thing called Talos. So the last one I did, and I wrote this up in a book with Enrique Villanueva, and he's in the middle of the night. It's a bizarre thing. They set it up for him. And even he, I don't think, believed that Talos, it's just a rumor that they, you know, they're underneath the mountain. He says he's, he's two o'clock in the morning and they come back from the top of the mountain, they have this event. It's a, like a program setting again. And this woman appears and people see this woman. And, and so I'm writing up that story. He's coming back and it's two o'clock in the morning and he goes to the outhouse and he's got his cell phone. And he looks and he goes, I got five bars on myself. I can't believe it. Okay. I've never had a bar at, at Mount Shasta. I got five bars. So he's sitting in the, in the, in the outhouse for two hours. He's playing on the internet on his cell phone. And then he comes out of the outhouse at four o'clock in the morning. It's just the sun's just ready to come out. He looks out and there's this sort of light at the end of the road. And he's going, what's going on? And he goes and he looks and he says, the whole mountain is lit up with all these lights. And he goes, Talos, Talos exists. And he's going, oh my God, where's my camera? 
and he's running around. Where's my camera? And and looks in the tent. It's not there. Oh, I left it in the circle. And it's in the circle on his chair. And he goes and gets the camera. And then he realizes my camera doesn't photograph at night very well. And then he's trying to wake up the guy named Marcel. Marcel's got the high. All these guys, they have drones. They have high-end camera equipment and stuff. And he's trying to find Marcel. And he's, he, which tent is Marcel? And it's Grant. Where, where's Grant? I got to get Grant out here. And he's trying to get a witness because he's seen this. And he, he bangs on the one guy's tent. And the guy, he, the guy's snoring. Oh, forget that. And he goes and he gets these two women. And I remember the next morning, they're describing these two women. And he's got these photographs that I put in the book. And they're not very good because the sun was coming up as he's taking these <laughs> photographs of these lights. And there's nothing on the mountain. It's all snow. There's there's no city. There's no people, you know, mountain climbing in the middle of the night, stuff like that. And there's all these lights. And he gets these two women. I remember the next morning, I knew I was going to record this. I had to get this right for the book. So I got this little handheld tape recorder. And I'm taping. And people are describing these experiences. And these two women were with him. And they're on the ground. And they're drawing. And they go, oh, my God. It was like, they're all freaking out. <laughs> and stuff like that. And that's the whole thing. So people will have these experiences. Even the one guy that claimed that we were going to interview after it all fell apart, we were, before it fell apart, we we're going to interview this guy. And he claimed he was taken underground. He was taken to this tunnel underneath the, the Mount Shasta. And I said to Katarina, I said, can you set up an interview with this guy? I, like, I think there's another book in this. I, we should tell the story because that was my role. I saw my role because the Mount Shasta, the Mission Rama thing, unless you followed them, you don't realize how weird this group is. I mean, the stuff these guys can do, they've recorded every single message they've gotten since 1974 so they work on this thing there are two people have to get the same message and then you put it in this book and they've got this book that has every message from 1974 for these program sightings and the stuff that these people can do is just absolutely fascinating but it's all in spanish so nobody really knows and that was my i saw my role is to put these two stories out about these group i went to two different leaders of these groups and i talked about the portals and stuff like that and then you see the government, and that's where the government wanted to send people because they realized that this is the real deal. These people are tapped into something, and uh, I'm sure they're following these Mishirama people as well, trying to figure out how how they're doing this. This thing about the vibration, how you raise their vibration, they they lower their vibration, or, or how does the portal open, or what's who are these little guys with the the iPads that seem to be keeping the thing up? Or people describe that when you're not oming, the the guy who was in the 747, he was inside one of these portals and he it, it went it goes according to your last name you have sort of structure inside latino society and he was at the mm -hmm. sort of the bottom so there's 50 people and they took in seven groups so he was in the last group that went into this the zendra they took seven at a time they went in the zendra and he said as they were going in the zendra the zendra was starting to collapse and they're all holding hands and they're oming and they're trying to get the zendra to go back up again and this is like a 747 united airlines pilot and you go and and so i can see people like pandolfi would be all over this they'd be watching not making any comments or something right. but when i got involved with it i got indications they even said they wanted me to do this thing and i said i don't do hollywood i i hate sitting in front of camera i don't memorize lines i hate that kind of stuff i'm a researcher i said to them numerous times if you want me to do they're going to do one on the aviator i said if you want to do with all these uh, guys that were there kick green and put off and what they were doing and their bird names and all this kind of stuff i can help you for nothing i'll, I'll give you what you're i'm not going to sit in front of the camera I'm, I'm not going to be the guy directing the show and running the thing i'm, I'm a researcher i'm the guy who's trying to figure this thing out playing the chess game and stuff like that but they actually came to me a couple of times to, to these offers that they wanted this stuff in hollywood so i've actually got a documentary guy contacting me from vancouver canada and he wanted the same sort of thing and i said well uh, you know if you want i'll put you in contact with these guys and you can see if you can do it and i think he may have a option because that the, the the intelligence agencies are always looking for a way to put this stuff out like the holloman air force base story that supposedly jimmy carter saw in his briefing the holloman air force base story i, I remember I, I watched close encounters of the third county i said to bob emanager they said bob you had the holloman air force yes. base film uh it looks exactly like except for the yours was the morning at uh, six o'clock in the morning and uh the close encounters of the third kind was in wyoming in the, in the middle of the night and he said oh i didn't tell you so you didn't tell me what i didn't tell you i gave a copy to steven spielberg so no you didn't tell me that he said yeah i told you annie spielberg was a line producer for me she said steven wanted a copy of our documentary because the film got pulled back so they had to do storyboard and they were allowed to put eight seconds of the film inside the documentary so there's just eight seconds i went to bob and said bob there's eight seconds in the documentary uh, well, I said, you told me they took the film back. I thought you said they took the film back. Well, they did. But there's eight seconds in the film. Well, it doesn't show anything. So what do you mean it doesn't show anything? Well, it doesn't show the craft. It doesn't show the billions. And so they let us use it for background. It's really background. And so Steven Spielberg got it. And he took the idea of Close Encounters of the, the, three, the three ships come over uh, 1971 
over Holloman Air Force Base, and the one lands, and they've got the cameras going, and there's one in the helicopter, and there's three on the ground, and they're filming this whole thing as it's taking place, six o'clock in the morning, and he turns into Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And then Bob Emmerich said, I told you a story about Steven Spielberg's mother comes to me. Steven Spielberg's mother says, hey, Bob, I saw your version of the landing, and I've seen Steven's version of the landing, and I like Steven's version better. And it's those kind of things where you start to realize, like, there's stuff happening inside of Hollywood. They're telling the story without telling the story. So if you've got something good, and they, so I've had a couple of offers to do this kind of stuff. And I said, no, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. Kind of stuff. I, did, I hate it. I was on the one thing where they did the presidents. And it was the worst 12 hours of my life where they had all these lines. And some 25-year-old girl had written these lines. And you had to memorize these lines. And I'm going, I don't memorize stuff. I mean, just let me talk about the presidents. I'll tell you the story. <laughs> I'm not going to, well, no, but she's the guy. It has to be this way. And it was like. It has to be exactly the way they had it. And I said, what does she know about presidents? She knows nothing. She's like 25 years old. But I hated that experience. So I said, never again. I'm not sitting in front of a camera and memorizing lines and taking stuff out and allowing them to edit it. I'll just say it. You can put it in wherever you want. Spin it the way you want. Uh, you know, I'm a researcher. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Was it at least well-written or intelligent? Or was it just as if written by a... It, was, it wasn't bad, but it was going from... And, and they gave me the thing, like they sent me the, the scripts. There was there was just six different scripts because I've done a lot of stuff. So I had the presidents and then there was... I can't remember what the other scripts were different. They're going to do six different things. Uh, one shoot. And it was like six different scripts for six different things. And then the one, the president had a lot of lines. I mean, it was like the whole thing was all mine. And I said... I hope you don't think I'm going to read that. And he said, no, you don't have to read it. Don't worry. And so when we got there, then he would read the line and he would read like three lines. And he'd say, okay, go. And I go, what? You think I'm going to repeat that? And then he wouldn't do it. And then finally I'd get it after like 15 minutes or whatever. I'm sweating. I had to take a break. I had to go out. I, said, I can't take this. I go out and it was getting worse as, as I was going along. I was getting worse at memorizing these lines. Then I'd finally get the line down. And then the guy would say, oh, hang on. He says, we're in LAX headquarters and it was all marble floors and women walking around high heels and everybody's got a set of keys on them. And he say, oh, hang on, someone shut the door, got to do it again. And I go, you kidding me? I spent like half an hour getting one line up and then they, they get it. And then they do the thing where the guy would say, okay, now do it like you're not reading it. And it's like, oh, I, said, I never would ever do that again. So when I, even though I got these offers, I said, no, no, I'm not the guy to sit in front of the camera. There's no way if you want me to tell you what's going on uh, for free. I, and the one guy said, I'll make you executive producer. I go, well, I don't want to be an executive producer. Who cares? I'm, I, that means I have to sit at the end of the documentary for five minutes and watch to see my name come out. Who cares? They are feeding this stuff into Hollywood. This stuff is going. Oh, that's why I mentioned, I should finish that story and then we can maybe end. Chase yeah. Brandon says, he, he wrote a book, it's called The Christos Conundrum, and it's the fictional version of how the CIA handled Roswell. And he said it was edited eight times. It was gone, and, and they took out stuff, and it was reviewed and stuff like that. And he says this famous line that I always repeat. He said, if you want a good story, read the book. If you want to learn something, read between the lines. And that's how it works. They're, they're telling the story indirectly. They spin it where they'll say Holloman was 64, was 71, or the, the one with the underground base. People don't know this one. The, the whole story about the shootout at the underground base with the, with the guy who has the sidearm, goes underneath. Dolce. Special Forces guys are killed. That was supposed to be under the Dulcie Mountain. If you go through the Bob Lazar story, which I did as it was breaking, we wrote that story up in 1990 in a book. Bob Lazar, the second day he's there, he gets 125 documents, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, you show the government a washroom is, that's about it. I mean, they're not going to give him 125 documents, how the program works and all this kind of stuff. And he's reading 125 documents. And one of the documents is the shootout, except it happened under Area 51. So that's the thing. So you got the two different stories. It happened under Area 51, it happened under Dulcie. Nobody knows. They got the story out. It's, it's partly true. And they, they put all this garbage in it. So nobody knows what's the real truth. And it's floating you- out there. What do you make of that story, the whole Phil Schneider story? Well, I think there's that's when I saw they, they put it in twice. It's, it may have some truth because mm-hmm. I go through this whole thing about people talking about the evil aliens. And I say, if you look at Rendlesham Forest, the two people were injured in Rendlesham Forest. There was like 50, 60 people involved there. Who were the two people? John Burroughs, who had his gun. They were going to take the M16s out there. And they said, well, it's kind of obvious. So they didn't take the guns out. And he, he takes his sidearm. And when the thing flared up, Penniston yelled, open fire. And he pulled his sidearm and he got hit. And now he got injured. The other one that got hit, they're talking about the blue orbs, the evil blue orbs. The other one was this Bonnie Tamplin that has been confirmed that she was in a truck and she had her arms. You're not allowed to have arms on on UK territory once you leave the base. And she had her, her 
arm and she was in the truck and this blue arm went through the truck and someone even said she discharged the arm. I'm not confirmed that, but she did have a gun. Holt said she had a gun in the, in the truck and she booked off on, on stress leave. And so when you get guns, like the, the one told me, oh, these guys got injured and they, were, they, were, they went in a portal in Georgia and they got injured. And I said, you got injured? So what happened? Well, the one guy died and the other guy's cancer came back. I said, really? I said, let me ask you a question. Do you have guns? Oh, yeah. They were special forces guys. So, yeah, really? And you start to see this thing, like the Cuban jet fighter thing. Well, do people get injured? Yeah. Cuban jet fighter, the same time they shut down the weapons at Malmstrom, the 10 nuclear missiles, Cuba had an intrusion of, of a UFO coming over at 30,000 feet into Cuba. And these two MiG-21s were scrambled. And the, the U.S. intelligence, the Navy intelligence out of Florida was picking up the communication. They were listening to this whole thing. And they said they locked on and they said, take it down. And they locked on as soon as they got locked on. The, the wingman in behind said, he's gone. He's gone. It disintegrated. The plane's gone. And so, yeah, you want to get it's, it's a reflective thing. Whatever you put out comes back. And that's what's told at Skinwalker Ranch with Ta Tra Travis Taylor. I, I, I put it out there the other day. and People were mad at me. I said, you know, he's saying, oh, this is all, you know, it, this, you guys are all crazy swearing away. You guys are all crazy. And it's all this is just a piece of land. Don't tell me this thing is alive, whatever. And like two weeks later, just gets zapped by the, the radiation. I thought it was so funny. I was like, yeah, yeah you don't think it's real? And they didn't kill him, but they made the point. And then he said, oh, wow. He said, that, that just changed my whole attitude. And that's the whole thing. It's reflective. Whatever you put out comes back. Same as these, these special forces guys. I, I have no sympathy for these guys at all. They were hunting the skinwalker. And suddenly the skinwalker was hunting them. And they went back and there was wine bottles flying across the rooms and smashing against walls and stuff like that. And whatever you put in there, it's like the, the Mission Rama. They have the skinwalker as well. But it's, it's a positive skinwalker. Science Bob, if you know Bob McGuire, he goes to this Chris Bledsoe's thing and both he comes back and he and his, his wife get healed. So you have you have the positive and negatives, what you're putting into it that reflects back to you. And that's why it was so important that I was trying to get this quote from Fugel, who said that when he goes on the ranch, his brother flies him in on the helicopter, they pray that you've got to set the mind straight before you get on, that this thing is reflective of your attitude, that when you're in a bad mood, same as George Knapp said, we have found that those who are the most aggressive to the phenomena had the worst experiences. That if you go in there and you want to take it on, get, make sure your insurance is paid up and all this kind of stuff, because it can get pretty ugly that the, the phenomena is just reflective of what we're putting out. What do you make of James Lekatsky's sighting at Skinwalker Ranch, the, the tubular bells? Absolutely. Abso well, that, the tubular bells is the devil thing. It, it's it's yeah it's the song from the exorcist it, it, it's the it's the definition of the theory wow when i wrote it up in this mufon paper i'm going to put it in a book when i wrote it up it was like it's almost like you could see it he's sitting there and he sees this thing and he looks sideways he looks back it's still there and, the, and it's almost like you could hear the, the little tubular bell saying welcome dr lakatsky we thought you'd never show up it was and the same as the skinwalker ranch the nimitz thing they were there for a week it's like, hello, turn up the lights. They can't see us. Hey, we're over here, you know. And then as soon as they go and they go and then they make the bubbles under the water and they drop from 80,000 feet down, it's this whole showing off thing. It's like, finally, someone's paying attention and it's to give a lesson. So they give this lesson to Lekowski, the same as, as Brandon. Brandon was a, Brandon Fugo was a, was a, was a skeptic. And he tells the story six months after he buys the ranch in late 2016, he's sitting there and he's got the guy who's the hell's angel guy. And the guy gets zapped and they put him in this comatose thing. He ends up in the hospital. He's probably armed to the hilt and they got this dignitary on there. And then they drain the batteries from 80 down to zero, which is like, oh, I know we really got their attention. Let's drain their batteries. And then they go back to get the batteries. And all of a sudden they're going there. And then Fugel says, they look up and this thing is sitting there in the sky and it's looking at them. And they're all looking at this thing. And what's it doing? It's not doing anything. And then it moves 50 feet. And I say, so why does it move 50 feet? It's like they're going, hey, move 50 feet to the side. Watch that. And they move. Hey, oh, it moved. And, and you hear Brandon telling you, it moved 50 feet to one side. And then it shot like a bullet. And I said, like, why does a UFO often shoot off like a bullet? Like what? What did the alien just suddenly realize? Oh, I forgot to take the, the pick up the wife's dry cleaning. Wait, let's get out of here. I got to go. And they, they take off at a speed of light. They're doing that. They want, they want you to go whoa what the hell's going on and that and they do it same as bud hopkins i don't know if you've heard the bud hopkins story how, how did they drag bud hopkins in bud hopkins people don't know bud hopkins was involved in war of the worlds he was sitting he was a seven-year-old kid and it, it happened in new jersey the war of the worlds happened in new jersey and they were listening on the radio and his parents were listening to the war of the world and the neighbor came in with his gun and he said 
you're gonna get these Martians. Let's go. We're going up on top of the hill. Come on, let's go. I got the guns. We're gonna we're gonna defend the we're gonna defend the town or whatever. And then Bud's father said, No, 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 we don't want to go. And his mother was crying. And Bud's looking out the window and he's he's, he's looking to see if, if the Martians are coming or whatever. And that's where he gets this whole fear thing. His whole career is, is the aliens are these fearful things. And then what happens in 1964? He's driving down this road. He's, he's with these two British people and he's driving down the road and all of a sudden this flying saucer is right above the car. Plain daylight, just sitting there, not doing anything. And it's like, hey, bud, can you see us, bud? We're here, bud. Take, take a look. And he goes back the next day and he retraces it. How long did it take? How, how far did he drive? How long was the thing there? And yet he's still skeptical. He's skeptical of the Betty and Barney Hill. So then they really drag him down the, the rabbit hole. So in 1975, the same year I got involved, the same year Linda Howe got involved, the same year Stephen Greer got involved, the same year there's all piles of people got dragged down the rabbit hole. Travis Walton's abduction was in November when they shut down Malmstrom and Loring Air Force Base. Every night that Travis was gone, there was a nuclear missile intrusion inside Malmstrom or inside Loring every night. That Wait, that, that all happened in November 1975? Travis was November 5th to the 10th, but started on about the 31st and it went for about two weeks. It was Loring, Wordsworth, Minot, Malmstrom, and the fact was that every night that Travis, I'm going, is this coincidence that Travis and Linda Howe got involved? Linda Howe, just the same, that's when Linda Howe got involved. Her brother is a helicopter pilot, Malmstrom. And he phones her up, he says, Linda, she's never done a UFO story, never done television. Nothing. Linda, there's a, there, there's a, all the people's pagers were going off in the officer's club. And this UFO was over top of the nuclear. And that's how she gets dragged into this whole thing. Travis gets dragged in, they're dragging us in. So Bud Hopkins gets involved in January of that year. He's buying uh, liquor at the corner store. And the guy says, hey, Bud, I had this really weird UFO sighting. He said, and it's the one in Close Encounters where the guy's driving down the street. And obviously, she's the guy that's going, like, pass, pass. Like, you know, okay, and the, the, the lights are getting closer. And he's like, why did you just pass me? All of a sudden, the lights go up like this over top of the car. That's the sighting. That's where it comes from. It comes from this Bud sighting. The guy says, and it went, it went, it went over and it landed in this field. Uh, talk about theory of wow. It landed in this field. There was these two sort of portholes. This door opens up and a ladder comes down. And these 10 guys all dressed the same. These little guys come down the ladder and they all got like a shovel, a little spoon shovel. And they got a bag and they scoop a piece of dirt and they put it in the bag and they'll go up the ladder and they, the door closes and they take off. And like at the speed of light, and they're gone. And Bud goes, really? And then Bud goes and he investigates and he finds the 10 holes. And then he finds out there's a witness across the field who saw the thing in the field and one of the windows was shattered. And that's it. Bud's down the rabbit hole. He's no longer in Kansas and he ain't coming back. And that's how they do it. That's why I call the theory of wow. Like, why do they have lights? Like, why do they suddenly appear? That's the second night I saw it, because I saw it up close two nights in a row. The second night it came right at me and I'm going like, and it's flying away. And I'm thinking, it'll be extraterrestrial. And I'm going, What's it doing? What's it doing in this small town in the middle of nowhere that has no significance? Like, why is it here? Like, what's going on? And later on, I even realized it was even worse because it came at me the second night. It came at me, and then it made this turn, and then it flew off. And I go, why did it just go from there to there? Why did it have to come at me and go there? Because it wanted me to drag me into this whole thing. And there was a film taken. That's how I got involved. There was a film taken. I would never have gone. We were going to go, and then, then, then we just sort of forgot about it. And then the, the story kept appearing in the paper the, the aliens are still there they're they're seeing this stuff and they had this film that was taken and i talked to the guy who took the film and he said they, they almost had it the night before and this camera crew from a tv crew and they, he's looking down the thing and he says okay the next time this thing flares up it was on the ground the next time it goes up i'm gonna get we're gonna get something on film and it was almost like the the craft said be ready three two one push the trigger Boom, thing jumps up in the sky and it flies across the sky that's what got me to go. And then when I interviewed the guys, I heard this whole story about they, it went just as he pushed the trigger. And then they cut the film. There was only when it was, it was stationary. He's looking at it. It was stationary. He picked it up. And then at 12 o'clock, he stopped the camera to get a frame of reference from the stars. And he stopped it. So those two six-inch pieces came, and they cut the pieces out. The main reporter who was involved in that thing said to me, he said, I know what you're going to think, but let me tell you what. The film was backwards. He said, the film was backwards? Yeah. He said, went across the sky, and then it jumped in the air. I saw the film before it was edited. It was backwards. And that's the kind of stuff where once that happened to me, it was like, wow. It's like, and I was down. And then I saw it twice myself. And I was down the rabbit hole. And that was it. End of my life. Just, that's my whole life has been that thing. And that's what they're doing. They're doing these weird things that get you to go, what the heck's going on here? Because you can't let it. If it was ordinary, I say, like, why did they take the blood out of the cow? I said to Linda lots of, Linda, why did they take all the blood out of the cow? 
Because if they didn't, he wouldn't go and investigate it. It has to be weird. Why do they shred a heart of a cow? They shred the heart and they leave the sack outside is completely intact. How do they take the brain out without any incision? Because everybody goes, how the hell did they get the brain out? And and it drags you down the rabbit hole and you just get in, into it. And that's what they're doing. They're using this almost like I, the, the definition I use. It's easier to pull a wet noodle than to push it. So they, they got you and they're pulling you along and everybody's just sort of following along. And when you try to fight it, then it doesn't work to your benefit. You just go along with it and they, they give you more pieces of the puzzle. And they're gradually unraveling the pieces, but they're, the veil is still there. They're not going to sit there and tell you everything. They want you to figure it out. You've got to go through school. You got That's what it's all about. Otherwise, what's the point of life? I mean, if they, you come in here and you know everything and it's so it's, it's excitement. So that's why I'm saying I think I, more and more I'm starting to understand maybe what's going on here in terms of because for the first 35 years, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, I was collecting stories and whatever, but I wasn't really going anywhere. And then I just had this bizarre experience with Travis, with the, the crop circle thing. The, you know, I didn't want to go in the lecture in 2012. That was Colin Andrews mm-hmm. talking about crop circles and consciousness. And I was interested in crop circles, but there was a big controversy. He had said 80% of the crop circles were hoaxed and there was people were ready to kill him. And I'm going, oh, nah, I got to go. This guy's a major researcher. I better go watch this. And that's when I had this sort of thing and everything just sort of shifted. And it was almost almost the, the story of the Wizard of Oz where, you know, you, you suddenly you're gone and you're, you're no longer in Kansas and you're in Oz. And they're just dragging us into Oz with all this weird stuff. And the more we put it together, the more it sort of, sort of makes sense. But it's this thrilling type thing that it's like you. I mean, you can't let it go. I mean, you, you couldn't drop it. it. People don't realize how obsessive. Same as the near-death experience. When people have near-death experiences, 75 to 80% of people who have near-death experiences get divorced because they just flip out. They just, like, they're totally different people. And they, I just knew you're not the person I married. I can't take you anymore. You're, you're so obsessed. Like Ray Hernandez, when he contacted me, when he had his experience, the dog getting healed, then he says, Okay, if my, my wife's seeing these things, well, I want to see one too. And so he's standing outside, the, he's waiting for some guy to bring some court papers to him, whatever. And he says, okay, well, I want to see one of the things from stained glass windows that my wife sees. And then he, he's sitting there and yeah, I knew that it was got 15 minutes. And he, goes, he said, it was like Wembley Stadium above the next day to his house. And he's going, holy cow. And, and he ended up, he was sleeping two hours a night. He was reading every quantum physics book and stuff like that. And he, his wife was ready to divorce him. He just went like totally off the deep end because he was going like, there's, there's a consciousness connection. He says, it's, it's just unbelievable. There's, and he's, he's, so he goes on the internet, consciousness, UFOs. And of course, my name pops up. I go down to give a lecture. I said, I'm in Florida in a couple of weeks. I'll give a lecture. We'll have a talk, whatever. And that's when he, the two days after that, he he's here's the consciousness lecture. He's sitting in a traffic jam in, in Miami. And he says, all of a sudden I'm sitting there. And he says, suddenly I'm in the air. He says, I'm in this experience. And they have this wheel. And these beings are there and this wheel is spinning around, has has quantum physics and remote viewing and UFOs and all this sort of stuff and this stuff. And the, the beings say, it's all the same thing. You got to quit parsing it. And so you see this, it starts to unravel. You realize like we're getting some help from the other side. We're getting some stuff, but you got to sort of open up and just sort of let it happen rather than to try to fight it, which I think is the, the natural tendency is, is to try to use the rational analytical brain, which is what I say is the, the, the thing. What you want to do is what you do in regression is say, Sean, walk down the stairs. And the left brain goes, I can walk downstairs. I'm the best walker downstairs. I can, and then go, go down and there's a door and I'll close the door behind you so you can't come back. And, and then you walk the guy in, the left brain's busy working on this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, you say, we'll call you in about half an hour. We're going to be working here and we'll call you back. And then you allow the rational analytical brain to come back in because it's the one that's causing the noise it's the one that's killing the signal and if you can shut that down so that's why you gotta watch the experiences these people are having experiences for a reason they're tapped into something and we better start listening to them if we want to understand what's going on it's almost just like when you're trying to focus on doing something and nothing happens nothing happens you're like ah it's not going to happen and then you look back and it happened right yeah take whatever you will of this but the other day it was blue skies not a single cloud in the air and I just randomly look outside. Everything's blue except this one cloud formation. I'm like, I, that, I, I, there's something about that cloud. So I'm looking at it. And I'm just tracking it, tracking it, watching it across the sky. I look away and kind of forget about it. I look back; it's gone. Now maybe the wind blew it. Maybe, but it was it was just. And there was something in the back of my head. I'm like, that that can't be a cloud. That cannot be a cloud. But again. And it gets you thinking. It's like my father in 76. I had my experiences in 75. My father was a pilot for the Canadian government. And he tells the story. He says, we're flying 
the DC three coming into Winnipeg, we're at 12,000 feet and there was a, a DC nine up above us at 30,000 feet. And there was a UFO right in behind the DC nine. It was like a hundred feet across right behind the DC nine. And so he, he's the pilot and he calls the Winnipeg air traffic. And he says, uh, what do you got on the radar? And the guy says, oh, we got you, we got this other plane and we got the DC nine. So what do you got behind the DC nine? And then the guy says, we don't get nothing, just a DC nine. He said, you gotta have something. We're looking at it right now. <laughs> and I guess, nope, the DC nine. And then my father he said, looked away for one part of a second. He said, look back and it was gone. So then of course I made the mistake of telling the National Enquirer because they were gonna call UFO, this place the UFO capital of the world. And I was contacted, so I said, hey, Bob, guess what? My father had a UFO said he's a pilot. And he phoned my father. My, I never seen my father so angry in his life. Can you keep your damn motion? It's like, so he told, he told Bob, he said, I think it was a weather balloon. He's like, keep your damn mouth shut. <laughs> all right, my friend, we could talk all day long, but I yeah. think now's a good time to end the episode. So I appreciate your time. And as always, I always feel a little bit smarter after these interviews. So I yeah. appreciate it. Okay, keep up the good work. Thank you, my friend. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.